Hebrews chapter number 12. This morning we're going to continue working our way through chapter 12. We're going to focus in on verses 12 through 18, excuse me, 12 through 17. The title of the message is Cultivating Endurance Through Community. Cultivating Endurance Through Community. Let's go ahead and just bow our heads, close our eyes one more time, just ask the Lord to Bless the preaching of the word. God, we come to you right now. We just pray that you would quiet our hearts. I know we often come with many things on our heart and our mind from the week, uh, maybe even already burdened down with the cares of next week. God, I pray right now in this moment that you would help us in our time of need. We acknowledge that we do need you. We need your Holy Spirit to stir our hearts. We need your word to break up the hardness of our hearts. We need to encourage and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We need the church to encourage us this morning. And God, more importantly, we need your help to hear the word. I pray that we would truly hear from you this morning. I pray that you would speak through me, God, that your spirit would unite us in cultivating endurance through community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I, I again, I think of cultivating, as I ended last week, my, my mind is, is on the fall overseeding of cultivating a healthy lawn. I know that probably doesn't resonate with most of you, but maybe you have a green thumb of your own right. Maybe it's not a lawn, but maybe it's a garden. Maybe it's a, a fragile orchid on your counter, maybe it's a tomato plant on your, your back porch, whatever it might be, you probably are familiar with what it looks like to cultivate a plant of some kind, right? It takes care. It takes attention. It takes thoughts and planning to ensure that this plant or this yard or this garden, whatever it may be, that it's is healthy and that it grows and that it bears fruit and that it accomplishes an intended goal that you sought out for with this plan of cultivating. In rare cases, does a plant just thrive on its own? Typically, the right conditions, water, fertilization, and sun, have to be provided for these plants, for them to thrive. And there are threats to those things. For the lawn, it would be diseases, whether it be lawn fungus, brown patch, other diseases, whether it be pests of, of different insects and, and rodents that would, would come in and seek to destroy the work that you are attempting to do. If you have a garden, you know the struggle of this, right? 
The deer and the rabbits and the raccoons always fighting day after day after day to get into the fruit of your hard-earned labors. Cultivating is something that takes great care and attention and planning. This morning, we're going to look at what it looks like for us to cultivate endurance through the community of the body of Christ. We've been talking about endurance for a number of weeks now, have we not? Pastor Andy kicking us off with chapter 12, challenging us to run the race with what? Endurance. To run the race that is set before us. To not grow weary, not grow faint-hearted, but to run looking to Jesus, the one who endured perfectly, the one who finished his race, the one who perfectly obeyed, even as we sung about this morning, the one who took on flesh and went to the cross in perfect obedience to the Father. And even in that humiliation of Christ, we see this beautiful exaltation because it didn't end in the grave, right? He defeated sin, death, and hell, and he rose victorious, and he was given a name that is above every name, and that it's at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the hope that we have in our running this race of the Christian life cultivating endurance, running with endurance. Again, this was the call to action. Our author started and finished the previous paragraph with this athletic imagery where he finished in verse number 11, for the moment all discipline seems what? Painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A Greek verb used for trained right there in verse number 11 is where we get our English word gymnasium, right? This, this has the idea of us running in this race and we are training towards endurance through the ups and downs of life, the trials, the difficulties, yes, even the corrective discipline of the Father because he loves us and cares for us. This clues us in that running this race of the Christian life with endurance and learning and growing from the loving discipline of the Father, it's going to be anything but easy. In fact, it's going to be very hard. And that road is going to be paved with sorrow and loss and difficulty and challenge, persecution. But it is a road that has already been traveled by our great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. The one who perfectly walked that road before us is the one that we look to as we run. In fact, verse number 11 indicates that just as any incremental gains in the gym occur slowly over time, do they not? I wish that were not the case. But any physical gains of improvement in our physical fitness, they occur slowly over time, just as losses in our physical fitness, they happen 
one choice after another over a long period of time, right? Endurance, training through this race of life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this grace-enabled discipline is established over time and it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness that only come through the training of running by God's grace as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So verse 12 begins this new paragraph, and here it carries on with this athletic imagery, and this race scene continues to build as the author of Hebrews would have us to consider others in this race. So it's not just about me, myself, and I, and the race that I have before me. Yes, we all must run our race. But running in this Christian life is a team sport. We are not to run alone. We are not to run in isolation. We are to run how? Together. We're called to consider others now in this race. Those that are in front of us, those that are to our left and to our right, those that are behind us, we are to consider others to be mindful of our brothers and sisters that are also running this race that is set before them. We lingered a bit on this topic of others last week during our A&I time, during our discussion time. Do you remember? We talked about the church's responsibility in this role of discipline, exposing sin and bearing burdens and encouraging one another in the Lord. That was intentional as we were to look forward to this week as we consider others in verses 12 through 17. See, the author would have us to remember that running the Christian race is a team event. There are no lone ranger Christians in this life. That was never God's plan. Certainly there are seasons where it remains difficult to fellowship physically with the body of Christ, maybe physical ailments, age, loss, whatever it might be. God's plan was never for a remote YouTube church. God's plan was always for the church to gather physically together in obedience to his word, to sing together as we have done today, to encourage and admonish one another in the Lord, to hear the word of God faithfully preached just as in Acts 2, the church committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Very difficult to do those things alone and in isolation. So God's plan, his perfect plan, and his perfect wisdom was for the church to be together. Cultivating endurance through what? Community. This isn't about me blazing a trail ahead and leaving everybody in the wake behind me. This isn't about me just, just going ahead in a blaze of glory and being as fit as I can possibly be in my spiritual life, forsaking the body of Christ and doing my own thing, how I think it should be done. The author of Hebrews would have us to pause and to consider others while we run our race. Yes, we all have this individual race to run true, and it looks a little bit different than 
your brother or sister that may be sitting to your left or your right, your races are not the same. They're unique. God has our race set up before us for our own good and for his ultimate glory, just as Pastor Andy unpacked a number of weeks ago. But friends, we are surrounded, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We're called to run with endurance, to not grow weary, and to not faint under the discipline of the loving Father. That said, the reality of any race is that it is rarely goes 100% as you plan. Can you resonate with that? Those of you that ran races before or, or exerted any type of athletic or physical exertion towards anything, typically there are other variables that come into play. If you're preparing for a race, some even ran a race this weekend. Beautiful weather. There weren't many many variables to uh, encounter this weekend, but oftentimes there's weather. It's either hot or it's cold or there's precipitation. Maybe you woke up that morning and you had a kink in your neck or you had some type of uh, muscle that you pulled on the way to the race. Whatever it might be, there are variables, and rarely does the race go as we had originally planned it. There's setbacks. Physical limitations, mental limitations, environmental challenges. But the beauty of a team sport is that although we have a role and a responsibility individually, we can lean on one another. Whether these difficult stretches of our race that often weigh heavy on our hearts and our minds, and together we can bear those burdens and get through them. How? Together. Community is what God would have us to consider this morning in chapter number 12. So the author is going to contend that endurance is best cultivated through biblical community. We're going to define community as God defines it in his word within the local church. So then each and every one of us has a race to run, but in his perfect wisdom, we are providentially brought together right here within the context of not the church down the road, or not the church we used to attend five years ago, but we are providentially brought together right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church for such a time as this. And friends, this is our team. This is who we are to run this race of the Christian life together with. Like it or not, whether you'd want a different team or not, this is who God has assembled. And it's best for you and for me to run this race together. Why? Because this church... That God is building, has been given the knowledge, the skills, the gifts, the experiences, the testimonies that I need. And he's going to give you and provide everything that you need through this local body that you need as well. So I don't need the church across town. I don't need the church that I used to attend to, or I don't need the church that I wish this was, by God's grace, I need this church. So cultivating endurance through community starts with us understanding community. And it starts with us valuing community within the context of the local church. The challenge of running together in community 
is this, that I don't typically want to do that. I don't naturally desire to run my race with community. I'm not inclined to just naturally pursue that in and of myself. Why? Because biblical community isn't natural. It's supernatural. It's a work of the Lord, and God uses the community to establish and maintain the community. And when our flesh decides to flee the community or fight against the community, God uses the community, the church, Liberty Hills Bible Church, in our lives, in my life and in yours, as his means of grace in cultivating endurance. Staying in the race, not growing weary, but keeping on by his grace and for his glory. This, friends, this is the stage, so to speak, of verses 12 through 17. This is the tone and demeanor of our author to his original readers. But also, I want us to understand that this isn't just a message of old to the original readers, the book of Hebrews, this is a message to you and to me to understand that God wants to use his church, his people in my life to cultivate endurance for his glory. And it will not happen any other way. And it cannot happen any other way. Why? Because this is God's plan. So the big idea of Our text this morning is this, God intends to cultivate endurance in us as we run the race within community. God intends to cultivate endurance in us as we run the race within community. This is God's plan. I hope we can see the beauty, beauty, excuse me, of that community. I hope we can begin to see as we continue to work through chapter 12 and chapter 13, we're going to continue to see how we relate to one another as we work through the remainder of this chapter. So cultivating endurance through community. This morning, we're going to examine the three different aspects of the community and how it functions to cultivate endurance in our lives. The first is this. We're going to look at the support for the wounded runner. The church, the community, the body of Christ, it provides support for the wounded runner. Look at me at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be Healed. We see that God continues to cultivate endurance, not just through his loving corrective action, his corrective discipline, but now we also see that God cultivates endurance in our lives through the support that the church provides to the wounded and weary runners. Drooping hands, weary hearts, wobbly knees. Can you resonate with these terms in your Christian life? Your strength is fading. You're discouraged. You don't think you can put one foot in front of another any longer. Ready to throw in the towel, ready to wave the white flag, whatever it might be, you are struggling. Have you been there? 
The race that is set before us as God ordained can be incredibly hard and discouraging at times, can it not? This is why we are called to look to Jesus. It's the gospel that saves and it's the gospel that sustains in our time of need. We've said that once and we'll say it again. I need the gospel just as much today and tomorrow and the day after that as I did at that point of salvation, that the gospel was made known to me. My eyes were able to see my need for a savior and my sin. You see the forgiveness that was offered through the personal work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, his death, the burial, his resurrection. It's the gospel that we need to remember this morning. Look to the one who finished this race perfectly. Look to the one who perfectly modeled for us what it looks like to trust the Father's will and endure faithfully to the end. Look to the one who perfectly obeyed and perfectly ran the race that was set before him. As Pastor Andy reminded us a number of weeks ago, look to Jesus, friend, once again this morning and find what? Strength. And let your weary hands be lifted this morning as we look into his full and wonderful face. Be encouraged that as you sit in this auditorium, and you hear God's word preached, he is not done with you. And although your trial may linger, and all the road, although the road may still be difficult, his grace is sufficient in our time of need. So building on this idea, the author's choice of words here actually point back to another Old Testament quotation from Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6. Our, Hebrew, our author of Hebrews points back to this Old Testament text. It says this, Strengthen your weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. What a beautiful text. Is there not hope here in Isaiah 35 as our author of Hebrews points back to this text? He says in verse number 12, Therefore, Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He acknowledges the drooping hands. He empathizes with the weak knees, but he points our attention back to Jesus, and therefore is there so that we can remember that Jesus has already done the work. And so we can't endure we can go forward because Jesus is the one that we fix our eyes upon. Our author would have us to remember the truth of God's word. The Lord is coming. What a hope. What a promise we have here. Your God will come and he will come and save you. Certainly we know that that speaks to a future hope. We have 
for us that have placed faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, there is a future hope of eternal life. What about now? How does the Lord come to us and save us now? When the wicked prosper, when the trial persists, when the persecution lingers. How does God come to us and save us now? He doesn't promise escape from the cares of this world. He doesn't promise comfort and relief from persisting trials and difficulties. But there are many ways that he gives us strength and hope in the midst of the difficult time, in the midst of the discipline. In our context, I would contend that God is going to use and will use the body of Christ as one of his primary means by which he lifts our drooping hands and strengthens our weak knees. We looked at Galatians 6, 1 and 2 during our discussion time last week. I'll read it again as a reminder. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of how? Gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Look at me in 1 Peter chapter number 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all. Keep loving one another, how? Earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God, as good stewards, excuse me, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 through 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So our author uses this Greek verb, anortho, in verse 12. It's actually represented by these two verbs in our English translation. They together are making up the thought and the intent of this one Greek verb. Our English translation, you'll see there in verse number 12, uses lift and strengthen. This Greek verb carries with it not only a meaning of strengthening, but also that of straightening. It's often helpful to get another set of eyes on something, is it not? Whether it's a home improvement project, whether it's working on your car, students out there, maybe you're working through those dreaded math problems and you're just stuck. Have you been there before? You finally ask for help and they simply point out the obvious that was staring at you the whole time. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? 
Sometimes our hearts is deceitful and desperately wicked. Sometimes we need another set of eyes, so to speak, in our race. Our way is crooked. And the Lord uses someone within the community to come alongside and graciously point us back to the gospel, back to the straighter paths. The Lord empowers this ministry and he uses the church as a means to bring about this strengthening and straightening work in our lives. I think of the obvious verse that maybe many of you are thinking of right now, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. This is verse number seven. We don't often quote this one with Proverbs five and six, but verse number seven reminds us, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. As we trust not in ourselves, but in the Lord, he makes our paths straight. The race of the Christian life becomes smoother the path becomes clearer. Although it's still a race and it's certainly not easy, we're lessening the variables impact on our lives. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In both of these passages, Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 4, we have this idea of looking forward. Not taking detours, not taking the scenic route, so to speak, in the Christian life, but just as a sprinter and any individual runner that's running a race, their eyes would be fixed on the goal, be fixed on the finish line, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our race. The hope that we have here, this allows for the weary, the wounded, the injured runner to not cause further damage, but rather this provides the space and environment for the runner to heal so that they are able, by God's grace, to continue on in this race. So friends, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Cultivating endurance through community involves us supporting the wounded runner together as a body of Christ. And in order to support the wounded runner, we must first be willing to be known by others. Right? We have to open up in transparency. We have to welcome 
brothers and sisters in Christ into our life, we have to be willing to expose. That was the word from last week. The mess that we have made. The struggle that we have currently. The challenge, the difficulties, the failures. We have to be willing to be known. To not hide. To not keep the church at arm length. To not be satisfied with surface level. To be okay with being vulnerable. To be okay with exposing that we have a time of need, that we're struggling, that we don't have all the answers, that we don't have it all together. But we also have to, in a reciprocal nature, we have to be willing to step into that same space and we have to be willing to know others. We have to be available. We have to care. We have to love others more than our comfort and our convenience. We have to be willing to pursue others for their good and for the glory of God. This is what community looks like, to know others and to be known by others. And it is one big mess. And that's okay. Because that's when God's glory is maximized in our lives. That's when God's glory is maximized in our homes. That's why and when God's glory is maximized in our community. When we as a church say, hey, you know what? We don't have it together. But by God's grace, we're going to come together. And we're going to do life together. This is his plan. Ask yourself the question this morning. Do you have anybody in your life right now at this moment that is pursuing you, desiring to know you in your time of need, your struggle, your difficulty, your seasons of loss and setback? Do you have anybody in your life that's asking you how you're doing, how they can pray for you? Do you have anybody showing up in your time of need? When you have a time of need, do you find yourself picking up your phone and reaching out to this individual? And also, in reciprocal nature again, are you that one in somebody else's life that's pursuing someone else so that they can know them? Friends, community doesn't just happen. We have to walk in obedience to it. It takes time. It takes effort. It inconveniences our schedules. It takes us stepping out of our comfort zone to expose our own failures and struggles and difficulties. And it takes us being willing to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to be in the Word, so that we can invest in others for the glory of God, so we can speak truth into others' lives as well. Cultivating endurance through community involves support for the wounded runner. Second, we are called to strive for purity within the body. We're called to strive for purity within the body. We see this in verse number 14. Look with me there. Strive for what? Peace with whom? Everyone. And for the holiness without which no one 
will see the Lord. Again, as we begin to engage in true biblical community, as we build on this idea this morning, we will quickly find out that life lived in this way becomes difficult and messy. Sinners, albeit saved by God's grace, will still sin and struggle this side of eternity. And that sin is not only what will impact themselves, but it also impacts the body of Christ. So then Jesus is at work through the church to fulfill this great promise of, do you remember it in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27? To strive for purity within the body. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, and this beautiful picture of marriage. Husbands are admonished to what? Love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the mystery that marriage is what? It's a picture of Christ and the church, the bride and the bridegroom. Strive for purity within the body, holy and blameless. This is the plan that Jesus has for the church, and not just for any church, broadly. This is the plan that he has for our church, that our church would be holy and and blameless. In our text, we're talking about purity. The bride of Christ, the church, is to be pure. How is that purity known? How is that purity made visible? Through two aspects that are called out here in verse number 14. Through peace and holiness. Peace is what? There's no outstanding conflict that is left unchecked within the body. There's peace. There is no open sin that is left unchecked. The church is holy. Not that we're perfect. Not that at any given moment we don't have sin in our life that needs to be confessed. And that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But within the community of the body of believers, there is no open conflict and there is no open sin The church is at peace. The community is at peace. The church is holy. The church is pure. Strive is the admonition here. Strive for this purity of the church. By God's grace, friends, you and I must strive for peace and holiness within the body of Christ. By God's grace, we must strive for peace and holiness in our lives individually. By God's grace, we must strive for peace and holiness in your brother and sister's life. This is what it looks like to live in community. Do you have it? Do you know of it? Are you in it? Community. 
Can't help but think of Ephesians chapter number four, verses one through six. Very familiar verses that we we often reference, but I'm going to read them for us as a reminder. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you individually to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Corporately now, it extends, verse number 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Peace, unity. Are you eager to maintain that within the body of Christ? Are you striving for peace with whom? What does our author call us to be in peace with? Strive for peace with everyone. There's no exceptions here, unfortunately. We're called to be at peace with everyone. Well, you might ask, what if we don't have anything in common? Then strive all the more. Well, what if I don't agree with everything that they do or believe? Or what if they come from a different political persuasion? Then strive, friends, all the more. Well, what if they look different than me or have a different life experience than me? Then, friends, we must strive all the more. This word in the Greek is daoko. has the idea of moving rapidly and decisively toward an object. Moving rapidly and decisively toward an object without delay and without hesitation. Run to one another with the gospel and beg and plead and urge and admonish one another to lay aside the sin and encumbrances of this world and to run the race that is set before them as they look to Jesus. Verse number 14. What's at stake here? Seeing the Lord. Eternity. Who is it that will see the Lord? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Seeing God. Grasping hold of that inheritance, that future hope. This is what is at stake. Therefore, strive. 
by God's grace and for his glory. Therefore, strive, be eager to engage with the body. Friends, there no doubt is among us tares among the wheat. We've talked about this as we've looked at these warnings against apostasy. There will be many in the last days who cry, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this or that in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Friends, it is a role, and it is a responsibility, and it is a means of grace for us to do this thing called the Christian life together in community, to know each other and to be known by one another for the glory of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Continuing on with this spirit of urgency and intentionality, our author brings up this final point. One, support the wounded runner. Two, strive for purity within the body. And three, stand watch for one another. Stand watch for one another. The author kicks off this final point with a very interesting verb. This verb is episcopao. It's translated in our text as see to it in verse number 15. See to it. In other cases within the New Testament, this verb refers to oversight and specifically oversight of others. The noun form of this verb, episkopos, is translated as overseer and most often refers to the role of elders overseeing and shepherding the flock of God among them. As we continue to work through Hebrews 12 and 13, we'll talk more about this relationship between the church and leadership, what community looks like. But until then, what the author has in mind is for us broadly as the body of Christ corporately, all of us together, He says, see to it. Is this admonition only applied to elders based off the verb form, based off other use cases? Well, we have a similar text all the way back in chapter number 3, verse number 12 and 13. Do you remember it? The author of Hebrews admonishes the church, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. Do you remember that? As we talked about the lack of faith being the sin that leads to falling away in apostasy. Ultimately, the lack of faith and evil and unbelieving heart is what reveals our identity as a tear among the wheat. Take care, brothers lest there be in you this evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort, verse 13, one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the author of Hebrews, through the entire book, has the community in mind. As is the case of chapter 3 in our text in chapter 4, the author is extending this exhorting role, this overseeing posture to include all of us within the community. The entire congregation is called to be watchful. 
to see to it. It calls our attention to three specific ways we are to be watchful. One, we're to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Two, we're to see to it that no root of bitterness is allowed to linger and spring up. Three, we are to see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. The author of Hebrews would have us all within the body of Christ see to it. What does this look like? Looks like exercising gracious and loving oversight among brothers and sisters within the congregation. That's not just an elder thing to do. It's a Christian thing to do. More specifically, it's a covenant membership thing to do. These three common dangers are areas that we need to be engaged in, that we need to be looking at in our own life and also in the life of others, as Galatians 6, 1 and 2 encourages us to do. We also need to be engaged in listening to what we are hearing out of the testimony, the lives of those that are in our congregation within our community. Is there anyone among us, friends, who might seem light on the gospel? Maybe as you begin to interact with them within the community, maybe they can't really articulate a testimony of salvation. Or maybe they're unclear on the, their understanding of the gospel. What should be our response? Certainly, it should not be judgment. It should not be shame or guilt. It should not be looking down upon them. As we are doing life together and we're observing and seeing the areas of opportunity that may cause us to have concern about their understanding of the gospel, we should graciously pursue them, speak truth into their life, come alongside them and point them to the word of God to show them Romans and to show them the gospel of John, to take them to Ephesians 2 and by the power of the Holy Spirit, plant and water gospel seeds into their life and pray diligently that the Lord would allow true gospel fruit in their lives and that he alone would give the increase of salvation. This is what it looks like to do life in community. This is what we do each and every Sunday night as we gather for Awana, planting and watering planting and watering, come alongside parents and speaking the truth of God's word into the young people of our church. And by God's grace and his time that he would draw them to the point of salvation and that there would be fruit that would remain. Of this, we will celebrate this morning with Declan and Hudson. So then, friends, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Does everybody in your life, does everybody in our community know the grace of God as a result of your engagement, the result of the testimony of your life? Is the grace of God on your lips? Is the grace of God in your hands and your feet as you interact, as you serve, as you love, as you make yourself and your family available, as you give of your time, your resources? Is the grace of God 
oozing from your life. See to it, friends, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Oh, that we would pray. Oh, that we would be burdened. Oh, that we would love others enough to see to it. The grace of God is known in their life. Certainly we don't save. Certainly we cannot give or bring gospel fruit. That is of the Lord's doing. But friends, can we be faithful to plant? Can we be faithful to water? Can we be faithful to come alongside and be sure and see to it, to talk about the gospel, to talk about his work in our life, to talk about a testimony, to talk about our understanding of the good news that Jesus saves to understand and talk about the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we see to it, friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ within our community, that the grace of God is known and felt and seen and heard? And pray God would give increase. Second, verse number 15, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. This speaks to the presence of sin and conflict going unchecked within the body. This could be an offense that you take up against a believer. This, this offense isn't resolved, and over time it turns into what, bitterness. This could be gossip that you speak, or gospel that is spread that you receive. This could be intentional or unintentional as oftentimes we attempt to recruit others to take up our offense as well. This mindset and interaction within the church, it causes what? It causes trouble. A root of bitterness causes trouble within the body of Christ. There's no peace. There's now conflict. There's no unity. There's now division a root of bitterness. See to it, friends, that there is no root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble among us. This happens when we stop striving for peace within the body and we choose bitterness. Then the ripple effect of that bitterness can have devastating effects on our life and those around it. Why? Because it defiles many. Living in community with one another will not stand for wrongs to linger. Living in community with one another will not allow bitterness to cause trouble. We will confess to one another. We will pray for one another. And we will walk and the healing impact of God's grace allowing two sinners to resolve conflict for the glory of God. This is what it looks like to believe, James 5.16. Third, we're to see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy in their life and dealings within the world. This individual mirrors Esau's downfall, which was what? Living in the moment. Pleasure in the moment. This worldly and secular mindset led to sin. How was Esau sexually immoral? He took the Hittite wives, right? Which was clearly against the covenant terms of his day. He was 
unholy as he squandered away his birthright for a single meal. Above all, this final threat that we are to be watchful for is the threat of unbiblical thinking and ungodly philosophies being present within our community. This unbiblical thinking led Esau to sin. And it will for us as well. Friends, we're bombarded in our day with so much information and half-truths. It seems there are just whole areas of doctrine that seem okay at first glance, but yet, as we dig deeper, we realize it is another gospel. Ungodly philosophies that we need to be discerning about. Shameless plug for our women's retreat coming up. Discovering the art of discernment. Ladies, don't miss it, November 3rd and 4th. Sign up on the app. Okay, back to the, back to the sermon. We need truth more than ever, do we not? We need truth in our lives. We need it in our community. We need truth to help us identify when we see or hear these lies from the world and the devil creeping into our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We need the community to help us identify when we are compromising on truth. We need others to be able to observe and identify when we're diluting the gospel, oftentimes unintentional. We need others in our life within the context of biblical community. Friends, I need to be done this morning, so see to it that we, at Liberty Hills Bible Church, within our community, that we provide support for the wounded runner. We strive for purity within the body, and we stand watch for one another, just as the author of Hebrews encourages us to do. Big idea, God intends to cultivate endurance in us as we run the race within community. Would you join me in prayer as we close this morning? God, we come to you right now. We just pray that you'll be glorified in everything that we do and say. I pray that as we steward this opportunity, we have received your words. I pray that we would not just be hearers deceiving ourselves, but we'd be doers of your word also. Pray that we would cultivate endurance through the challenge and difficulty of community. It's messy, it's hard, it's inconvenient, it's unnatural, but God, I pray your Holy Spirit would stir us up and that we would truly embrace community, starting with each and every one of us, saying, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to commit to know others, and I'm going to commit to be known by others. God, I pray that you would do that work for your glory. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.